This evening is continuing in 2 Timothy. It's on page 1196, not, not page 11, as it says in the sheet. So 1196, 2 Timothy 2, and I'm reading from verse 14. And it's entitled, Dealing with False Teachers. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and... Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the, from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good word. Sorry, any good work. Good evening, and um, well, greetings from down the hill. Greetings from Holy Cross. It's really good to be with you this evening. Let's pray together. Almighty and heavenly Father, we pray that you would help me now to correctly handle your word. And please would we receive what is true and faithful, as from you, for your name's sake. Amen. You may remember, if you've been here on Sunday evenings, that a couple of weeks ago we were encouraged in the letter to guard the good deposit, that's in chapter 1, or guard the gospel. That's a charge to us. Guard the gospel message. Now, Think about when you guard something, okay? I think you guard something when it is precious, but also potentially in danger, okay? So, um, strawberries, all right? They're very precious, aren't they? Because they're delicious. But they're potentially in danger from birds, and therefore we guard them with some, some netting, okay? Teeth is another example. The Rugby World Cup starts next month, and uh, you'll find player after player wearing gum shields. Why? Because teeth are valuable. Uh, but they're also in serious danger from a French forward who tips the scales at well over 22 stone. Maybe you, I don't know, what do you guard? I think we all guard something. Our wallets when we're out and about. Our identities. That's a big thing, isn't it? Online. Identity theft being a, a thing. If you're a Christian, here is something to put high on your list of to guard. You must guard the gospel. 
And that's because the gospel has this combination. It too is precious, but also endangered. The gospel message really is precious. It's all about the Lord Jesus and how he died for our sin and rose again to give us new life. And so those who trust in him, as we learn about in chapter 1, they're saved and called to a holy life, like to be like God, and given life and immortality. Well, nothing else does that. The gospel message, it's supremely precious. If we found a cure for cancer, we would desperately want to protect it and spread it, wouldn't we? Well, in the gospel... God has given us a cure for death. It is supremely valuable, so very precious. And so for all of us then, protecting and spreading the gospel ought to be right up there. You know, priority one, really, in the to guard list. But, and especially because in any place, in any church, including Bishop Hannington, the gospel is endangered. And that's why Paul has written this letter. Because in the church that Timothy is, is leading, the gospel's under threat. Now, we've reached chapter 2, verse 14, and it's a bit of a new section, because up to this point, Paul has been just really firing Timothy up to keep going in the hard work of gospel ministry, making the gospel known. And from this point, chapter 2, verse 14, Paul addresses the dangers which threaten gospel ministry. And we need to hear this, because the threats against keeping the gospel central are as real and strong today as they were in Timothy's day. And keeping them at bay takes a big effort from the whole church and not just the staff team. Will you play your part in guarding the gospel? Your church needs you. Well, to do that, you and I, we need to know what are the defences we need for the gospel to be guarded in, in, in this place. Julian and Nikki need to know what are the defences they need for the gospel to be guarded in Valencia. Let's find out. You can see an outline on the back of your service sheet if that's helpful. And it just opens with that question. How will a church guard the gospel in the face of opposition? And firstly, just from verse 14, we see we need to not be distracted from gospel truths. We need to not be distracted from gospel truths. The passage begins, take a look down if you've closed it, page 1196, it's chapter 2 and verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Now what are these things? Well, these things are the the things that Paul has just been talking about. The the, the fact that the normal pattern of, of the life of somebody engaged in gospel ministry is actually to suffer for the gospel now. That's inevitable. Suffer for the gospel now. But there is glory to come. So keep reminding God's people of these things. Because if we don't remember that it's suffering now and glory to come, we won't keep getting the gospel out, will we? Because suffering hurts (laughs) by its very nature. All right? And so we need to be keep, kept reminding of the, we need to be reminded regularly of these things. Now just to, just to flag up as we, as we get going here that Paul actually talks about three different types of people in this passage. 
And I'm going to call the first type gospelers, okay? Gospelers. These are people who believe the true gospel. They're looking to pass it on to others, both Christians and non-Christians. And here at BH, there are some men, women and children who are just like this. They may be in an official leadership position, or they may not. Whatever the case, they believe the true gospel. They want to pass it on to others. We'll call such people gospelers. Soon in the passage, we'll also see what I'm calling neutrals. It's not a great label, but there we are. And then a third group who are opposed to the gospel. And we'll call such people anti-gospelers. And the point here in verse 14 is that gospelers are in positions of influence. And so Paul urges them to keep remembering that gospel ministry must keep going. It's going to be hard, but there's glory to come. If you're a gospeler here this evening, this is what you need. You need to keep being reminded of this, these truths. So can I encourage you to make sure that, that you've got people in your life who are doing that for you, okay? And, and that you're going to places such as church, where you get regularly reminded of these things. So you keep going in gospel ministry. I'll always, I, we'll always step back if we're not reminded that, that suffering for the gospel is just a normal pattern. So keep reminding God's people of these things. But then also there's a warning for gospelers. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. Now we don't know specifically what Paul was speaking against here. You know, this quarreling about words. But I think the principle is clear, whatever he meant. We're not to argue on and on about minor matters. Okay? There is a right time for you and I to speak up and challenge and argue. And that time is when gospel truths are at stake. But what mustn't happen is that faithful people major on minor matters. Uh, we could apply this to so many um, uh, uh, different areas. And we could be people who love to talk a lot about, about, about politics and all that kind of stuff. Or we could apply it to areas of the church, you know, how we do church, such as the arrangement of the seating or the, you know, the way that we do, do our music or the current you know, playlist or whatever. Or how we do things at Easter or Christmas and that kind of thing. But sadly, the, the issue is that disagreements on these matters can just be a big part of church life. Bigger than they need to be. Bigger than they ought to be. And, and we may not think it's that big a deal, but but take a look at the verse, because we need to, to wise up to the consequences of, of what happens when these, these minor things are major. It is so destructive. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Now here we meet the second group of people I'm calling neutrals. And these are either kind of curious non-Christians... Or people who call themselves Christians but aren't about the work of the gospel. They're not making, making Jesus known in, in their lives. And maybe you wouldn't have applied those labels to yourself before you know, coming here, but maybe you, you see yourself in one of those groups. Okay, it's normal to have such people in a church. And neutrals may well be easily influenced by whatever they hear. Okay, perhaps on the internet or in a book or in a in discussion or at church 
And here's the point. When gospelers, so, so people who are looked up to as models of the faith, spend most of their time debating relatively meaningless matters, that can shipwreck the faith of neutrals who are, who are around. Because imagine an immature Christian or a curious non-Christian and again and again they hear gospelers arguing about the music or some other minor matter. Well, what would that communicate to them about what really matters? You see the point. And because gospelers are not talking about gospel matters that save people, those who are listening, who are unclear about the gospel, are left in the dark about gospel truths and gospel ministry. Now, isn't it striking how what we chat about matters? If you're someone who trusts in the gospel, this is, this is one way to guard the gospel. This is what your church needs from you. Over coffee, in the pub, back at home. What we chat about matters. The gospel, the work of the gospel, applying the gospel to politics and all the various matters of life. Those, that's what needs to be on our lips more than anything else. So yeah, first thing from this verse, keep having people in your life who remind you to press on in the gospel. But, but also, may, may I invite us to agree on a ban on meaningless arguments that go on and on about minor issues. Okay? We, we of course need to work out what seating to have and what, you know, songs to sing. And of course, you know, of course but it, it's when those things dominate. That's what we need to just have a ban on. That'll be a first line of defense, you see, in guarding the gospel. So important, this, this, this gospel message being held up. Don't be distracted from gospel truths. Don't major on minor matters. Major on the gospel, its ramifications. Major on gospel ministry, on the things that really matter. Put your grey matter in, into those things. And the, things that, you know, the way that you use your lips... Because, you see, what we're seeing is that when it comes to a church garden, the gospel, a major battleground is over our words. The gospel is a message. It's not a lifestyle. It empowers a lifestyle, don't get me wrong, but it is, it is a message. It's made up of words. It's a message that saves people. But, but bad words, then, can ruin people. I came across this painting... It's a scene from soon before the Second World War. And you can see there Adolf Hitler hypnotizing a room with a captivating speech, winning them over to the ideals and the agenda of Nazism. The picture was sent on a postcard on a significant date, 1st of September 1939. And the title of the painting is Am Anfang war das Wort. In the beginning was the word. Words have power, and the wrong words can be hugely destructive. Which moves us to our next point. To guard the gospel in the face of opposition, we need not only to be, not be distracted from gospel truths, but we also need teachers who correctly handle the word of truth. So Pastor Timothy is told in verse 15, more positively, do your best to present yourself to God 
as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, for obvious reasons, workmen need good references. They want to be approved. Well, a good pastor is a workman. Pastoral work, pastoral work is backbreaking work. It's not a job for layabouts. Now, in their work, pastors are to strive for approval. They are. But notice it's not the approval of the people they pastor. Pastors are to strive for the approval of God. And those two won't always be the same. Paul wants Timothy to focus, you see, on the final day, at the end of time, when Timothy presents himself, as it were, to God. And in the light of that day to come, Timothy is to labour faithfully at his Bible teaching now. And then he will not need to be ashamed when his work is evaluated. And so for pastors, the key to being unashamed now is correctly handling the word of truth. Sorry, the key to being unashamed then is correctly handling the word of truth now. Do you see that relationship? Now, correctly handling the word, it might, I don't know, bring to mind a bizarre image of a preacher as a lion tamer or something like that, holding a stick out to fend off a big book that's trying to bite them, correctly handle this word. In fact, the phrase means cut the word straight. Okay, it's a word from, kind of, it's engineer's lingo. It means making sure that the road cut through a hill was as straight as a Roman road should be. So in other words, what Timothy is being told is to teach the Bible in line with what the Bible is teaching. Now notice it's just, just, just in passing, by the way, that, that in this thing called guarding the gospel, it's not, it's not like the way to guard the gospel is to, is to lock it up in the church safe or or put it in a museum, or something like that. God in the gospel, is a, it's about speaking it out, speaking it out, passing it on. It's the, you might say we need to guard the, the art of calligraphy. All right? and, and, and how do you do that? But by passing on the skills. You get, you get the point. It's similar to that. But then you see, this is the kind of talking we need from our teachers. We need them to say what the Bible says. Now at the same time, there's a kind of talking we need our teachers to avoid. By the way, you might be thinking, okay, fine, how does this impact me? Pray for your teachers. Pray this for your teachers. Because Paul tells Timothy, correctly handle the word of truth. And at the same time, same time, verse 16, avoid godless chatter. Again, we can assume that this was probably a part of the, the churches or church that Timothy was pastoring, kind of everyday chat of church members over coffee in the pub. Back at home, the chat of many churchgoers was empty, godless. We might think, what's the harm? Well, take a look at verse 16. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. And so do you see, godless chatterers, they do advance, but they advance into ungodliness. And their teaching does spread, but it spreads like gangrene, like an open sore that eats away at the flesh. It's a horrible picture, isn't it? Their teaching eats away at the life of a church. It's a disease. It must be avoided. Isn't that interesting, though, that that this is godless chatter? 
It's everyday talk. Now it's so serious that Paul is kind enough to name some ringleaders. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. And here we meet a couple of our third group of people with gospelers, neutrals. Here are some anti-gospelers. And these people are in some kind of teaching position. And they used to believe and teach what the Bible says, but no longer. Now what have they done? They've departed from the truth. Now friends, such people are alive and kicking today. And they are very dangerous indeed. And the false message that these two spread is also being spread today. If we just take a look at it, they're saying the resurrection has already happened. That's not saying that that Jesus has risen from the dead, but the day of resurrection, which the Bible refers to, the day when Jesus will come back, they're saying it's already happened. And so I guess what's going on is that they are telling people that what God promises his people on that day of resurrection, we can have today. It's already happened. We can have that today. All its you know, health and and, and prosperity and privilege and power and, and, and glory. And that's, very, that's a very attractive message, isn't it? I mean, if it's true, I want in. Give me a piece of that. Today we know this message is the prosperity gospel. It is massively popular, not least here in the UK. And we've got to be just, just careful about thinking things like um, God has in somehow promised to... to to make better all, all of our little ills in life. That's a kind of a, a, a gospel prosperity light, we might call it. Because it's hugely attractive, but it is destructive. Because just think about it, God does not promise health and wealth and prosperity to his people in this life. He does promise us peace and joy and hope and suffering. So this false gospel leads people to expect more from God than he promises. What's the danger? Well, when we don't get it, we think God can't be trusted, so we turn away from God. Clearly then, as some false teachers are busy building a bypass, what we desperately need are teachers who cut the word straight. We need teachers who correctly handle the word of truth. Notice, by the way, just from this, that it must be possible to incorrectly handle the word of truth. I mean, yeah, you didn't need me to tell you that. It's kind of an obvious insight. It's actually quite easy to do, to incorrectly handle the word of truth. Every teacher has done it at various times. But the, the, the point here is that these are people who, who just carry on doing it. But, but we teachers then need to keep on growing and growing. And I know this isn't just true for preachers, and that's why we, you know, sermon feedback and we go on courses and this kind of stuff, but there are a number of teachers amongst us, some teaching in formal ways and some in informal ways, maybe one-to-ones or just, just opening the Bible with someone over a coffee or in, in the hospital or wherever, whatever it might be. We need to be correctly handling the word of truth. And it is well possible for us believers to do that, Not, even if you haven't been to college, whatever it is. Um, I came across um, uh, this, this book, I, it made the point well, I just like the cover really, out of context. 
how to avoid misinterpreting the Bible. That camel is clearly out of context. But, you know, the book says, uh, it's seeking to explain how biblical interpretation goes wrong, how to get it right. He introduces readers to the important concepts of context, word meaning, genre, the differences between the world of the Bible and our own, just some basic tools for handling the Bible. Maybe you've also read that really excellent book, Dig Deeper, which is, yeah, which is, which is again, really helpful. Let me just pop, pop back. Just giving us tools for, for understanding the Bible. I encourage you to, to pick that up. We all know, I think, what it is to have the Bible taught correctly. We, we, so many, we, we just get an instinct for it. It is when our teachers have a, have a r- real burden to only show us what the Bible says. You know, they say, I want to show you what the author is saying. Let me persuade you of what the author, what this passage is saying. And I'm going to tell you it, whether it's comforting or challenging. Because it's not my decision. I've just got to tell you what's here. Okay? Now, that isn't easy to do as, as, a te- as, as teachers. Pray for your teachers. Pray for, for your teachers to, and, and then encourage them in this. So important. Beware of the preacher who says something like, what this passage is saying to me is, dot, dot, dot. Unless what this passage is saying to them is clearly grounded in what the passage is saying. You get the point. Some of us are teachers here. Thank you for teaching the word faithfully. Thank you. And so, how can we guard the gospel? Don't be distracted from gospel truths. Prize and sit under teachers who correctly handle the word of truth. Because you see in all this, what do we say? Let me put it this way. Imagine in your house, you've got a a bit of a problem. There's a problem with the loo. Um, so, so water just pours out of the overflow pipe, giving your neighbour's garden a not-so-attractive water feature. So you go on you know, Facebook, you know, recommendations. There's that, there's that new, if you haven't, there's that thing, isn't there? Recommendations, and you get hold of, of Darren the plumber, all right? Comes recommended. He comes round, he stops the loo overflowing, uh, he, actually he's stopped the loo from flushing entirely. He's done a botched job. It turns out he's a cowboy plumber and the problem is worse than before. Now that is one thing. Okay, it's a problem. It's kind of a first world problem but you get the the point. Now imagine though that you're in hospital about to undergo heart surgery and there in his blue latex gloves wielding a scalpel is the medical equivalent of dodgy Darren. That is quite another thing, isn't it? There are many cowboy Bible teachers in the world, in our country. So the question comes, is handling the Bible more like changing the ball valve in a loo or changing the a heart valve? If people sit under teachers who do it badly, are people going to have toilets that don't flush or will they die? Well, actually, having teachers who handle the Bible rightly is infinitely more significant than heart surgery. Because where they get it right, their hearers will know eternal life. Eternal life. Whereas get it wrong, 
Well, you get the point. And so, and so our final point won't come as a shock. We need to keep away from false teachers. We need to keep away from false teachers. The end of verse 18 is a bleak picture. Take a look with me. The end of verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. So cowboy teachers, hugely destructive, also very popular and a bit frightening, if we're honest. But that isn't the last word here. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone, must confe- sorry, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. God's solid foundation stands firm. Imagine a great building owned and designed by God. It has an immovable foundation stone, and God has inscribed his seal of ownership on that foundation stone. Faithful gospelers are like that stone. That is a picture of God's firm grip on his faithful people. Paul then quotes in verse 19 a couple of lines taken from an incident in the Old Testament. Don't turn there, but it's Numbers chapter 16, where there was a rebellion of about 250 leaders against God's faithful leaders, Moses and Aaron. There's 250 against two. But those two were faithful, and therefore the Lord was on their side. The Lord appeared, and he dramatically got rid of the unfaithful rebels. And Paul's picking up a couple of lines from that incident. The first is a line of comfort. The Lord knows those who are his. Anti-gospelers like Hymenaeus and Philetus will gain some hearing. We shouldn't be shocked when they do. But ultimately, the Lord knows who are his true people and his appointed leaders. And if faithful people remain faithful, they can be sure of God's approval. That's great news, isn't it? Right, such a comfort. The second line there is is, is a warning. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And uh, number 16 shows that this is is about having nothing to do with the godless rebels, okay, in that incident. And the point for us is clear. Have nothing to do with these false teachers. It's far too dangerous to associate with them. To bring that point home, Paul illustrates it in verse 20. Take a look with me. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Maybe you've got the family cutlery. Okay, that's another first world thing. Maybe you've got that. Maybe you've also got some articles for low use, like the, like the, like the loo brush. All right? And the the large house here represents the visible church, which will include true and false believers and true and false teachers. The articles represent individual people. And Paul tells Timothy to cleanse himself from what's dishonourable. I take it that's to be clean from the false teachers. And verse 21 gives us The motivation, and it would be difficult to exaggerate the privilege which is given not only to Timothy, but to all of us who do what he says in verse 20. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, 
useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. I just think that's tremendous. Wouldn't you want to be that person? There's no higher calling than to be useful to the master of the universe. Useful because you're ready for any good work, any good eternal gospel work. Yes, friends, to be used by Jesus Christ to further his purposes is the greatest privilege, the highest calling, the most fulfilling work possible. But there's this condition, cleanse yourselves from false teachers. How might this come home? Someone might be going to a church where they love the people or the music, whatever it might be, but where the, where the pastors do not correctly handle the word of truth. Surely we see from this that faithful Bible teaching is not optional. You see, and so when we hear about somebody who started going to church, that ought not to be automatically encouraging. The question is, what's taught at that church? You see, and all sorts of other things might not be great at that church. And I'm sure the, you know, if the, if the sorry, if the, you know, if, in, a, in a faithful Bible teaching church, all sorts of other things might not be great. And probably the pastor knows. <laughs> but, but, you know, when the Bible is driving things, that's a great place to be. The gospel will be at the center and, 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 and things will get better and better. Or alternatively, someone might be listening to online to preachers who are even more gripping, can you believe, than the usual preachers that you have here at Bishop Hannington. But not teaching the Bible. Again, that is hugely dangerous. And if, if that's you, please heed this warning. If you come across such a person, please help them see the danger. We need to keep away from anyone who doesn't teach the Bible and who doesn't help others to do the same. All right. Now let's, let's wrap up. We, we all do guard something in our lives. You might not be a strawberry grower or a rugby player, but you know, you guard your head with a cycle helmet, presumably, your credit rating, your wealth. We guard our reputations very closely often, don't we? Do you now see why right up there on the things we must actively guard needs to be the gospel? It is hugely valuable. But it's also in danger. And guarding the gospel is a job for us all. Not long ago there was this newspaper headline revealed the huge gaps in UK defences. Let's not have gaps in the defences when it comes to guarding the gospel. It's a joint effort. It's a team effort. What will that take? It'll take encouraging godly leaders. It'll be in becoming increasingly able to, to handle the word of, 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 of God ourselves. It'll be, it'll be praying for our teachers. It'll be keeping away from, from false teachers and that kind of thing for the sake of this generation, for the sake of generations to come. Whatever else you guard in your life, nothing's as important as this Gospel message that saves people forever. Let's be a team who guard the gospel. And let's pray that God would enable us to do that now. Let's pray. Almighty and Heavenly Father, we praise you that as 2 Timothy 1 also says, that you are in the business of guarding the gospel. And because you're doing it, 
what a good thing it is for us to do. You are so committed to this message, and we praise you that you are, because there's nothing like it. We pray that you would help us to be committed to this message too, and to play our part in upholding this gospel message, and in refuting and turning away from those who don't. We see now this is a battle, and it's so crucial. Please strengthen us by your Holy Spirit in this. For the glory of the Lord Jesus, who is the heart and center and goal of the gospel, we pray. Amen.